a beautiful thing to, to sing about what we actually believe. Amen? Amen. Right, well, if you'll turn with me to, to uh, Revelation chapter 11. It seems like it's been a few weeks since we've been in Revelation, doesn't it? That's because it's been a few weeks since we've been in Revelation. But it's good to be back. Uh, in fact, I've titled uh, today's uh, message, Heaven on Earth. Uh, and so when you think about it, I might be dating myself here uh, when I say this, but uh, speaking of Heaven on Earth, when I was a teenager, there was a popular song on the radio uh, called Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. How many of you are old enough to even know what I'm talking about? And you guys listen to the radio then. I know, but I'm just kidding. But of course, uh, so some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. And the words were deeply theological. If you can't read the sarcasm, I'll just tell you. That's a little sarcastic. But uh, the words go like this. Ooh, baby. Do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Anyone find any theological problems with that? <laughs> um, yeah, there, I think there are some theological problems with that. And, uh, uh, but I do find it interesting that, uh, that even people who don't believe in heaven uh, talk and use the terminology heaven on earth, right? And I don't know if Belinda Carlisle believes in heaven on earth. I have not had the chance to ask her that. But, uh, but this, this concept of heaven on earth. And so, I, in fact, I, I found it interesting. I went to, online and just looked up heaven on earth and see what people's idea of what heaven on earth actually is. And I really came up with, with four veins of thought that, that popped up as I did that search. Uh, one is that heaven on earth is a beautiful place with mountains, right? Now, even though we know theologically we're not talking about heaven on earth here, but, but the idea of heaven on earth, how many would love to, to have a place where you have a view like this, right? Then there's another vein of thought, and that is a beautiful beach, right? So some place, an exotic place. And uh, so I'm seeing, I'm, yeah, I, I, you could split this group into two right now. Those who like the mountains and those who like the beach, I think. Um, for others, it had nothing to do with the location. It was having the right romantic relationship. It's, that's heaven on earth, right? And that would be the case of Belinda Carlisle's song, I believe, uh, would be this. The third one would be to have some type of, uh, of a political situation, like a utopia uh, idea. And in many cases, when I started looking them up, it actually became... Uh, it was the idea of, of socialism, and that would become some kind of utopia. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if this is your idea of heaven on earth, yeah. then you can have it, right? Um, but, but you look at that, and you say, that's, the world has all these different ideas of what heaven on earth would be. Like, it's this perfect place, it's perfect whatever, and whatever your idea is of that. Um, uh, but I want to ask a question. What would it look like if the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Christ were to become one and the same thing. What would heaven on earth actually be like? Uh, what, would we, would we, what, would it, what would it be like? Would it be like either of those pictures that we saw, or to be something completely different? And we're going to find out the answer to that in Revelation chapter 11. We're in the last few verses of Revelation chapter 11, so if you'll turn with me there, we'll start in verse 15. We read this. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Think about that for a moment. What we're about to see is the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdoms of heaven becoming one and the same thing. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Actual heaven on earth, in a, in, in a, in a sense. 
Now, I'll give a quick review in case there are some who might be just joining us. Uh, just here's where we're at. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we're talking about the, the God's wrath being poured out on all of mankind. And so there's this scroll with seven seals. And as you open each seal, there's more and more of how God's wrath is going to be revealed. You get to that seventh seal, and you find out that, that the seventh seal is that there are going to be seven trumpets. And with, with each of those trumpets, there's an angel sounding that trumpet, and then you have seven more uh, of those. Here we are, at this point in Revelation, we're getting ready to, and this is the, the opening of the seventh trumpet. So when we read, uh, then the seventh angel sounded, it's that seventh angel sounding the seventh trumpet. So this is it. Right? This is the big deal. This is what uh, everything has been leading up to. I like the way Robert L. Thomas put it in his commentary on Revelation. He wrote this. He said, Jesus will return and assume the throne of his father David in this future crisis, at which time he will replace the satanically energized sovereignty of world rulers that has prevailed for so long. The whole theme of Revelation is the purging of evil from the world so that it can become or so that um, so that it can become the domain of the king of kings. Only a physical kingdom on earth will satisfy this. And here we come to Revelation 11 and we're beginning to see that happen. Isn't that cool? That we're beginning to see this happen. And the idea is that there's evil in the world and it has to be purged because until that evil is gone, you can't experience heaven on earth. You can have beautiful beaches, you can have beautiful mountains and still have a lot of evil going on. In fact, if you've done any traveling into some of the beautiful places in the world, sometimes you find it's the most beautiful places where evil is running rampant. Isn't that true? I feel sorry, believe it or not. I feel sorry for missionaries to Hawaii. I've been there and I thought, it's a beautiful place, but it is a dark place spiritually, right? And, and you see that, and, and, uh, that, that contrast there. Now in Revelation 11, we're seeing that part where, where, where God is opening up the last, or blowing the last trumpet, his angel is doing that so that his wrath can be done with and the kingdom of heaven can be the kingdom of earth and be, be one and the same. So when we look at, at uh, Revelations 11:15. We see the kingdoms of this world, which right now are satanically charged, and then the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ becoming one and the same thing. How many would, would vote for that today? I would vote for that today. And so, in other words, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of the earth are going to become one, that's this we're talking about heaven. On earth. And by the way, this is what we have been praying for for over 2,000 years. If you keep your finger in Revelation 11 and you go all the way back to the first book of the New Testament, so uh, it's about two thirds of the way through your Bible. If you look at Matthew, when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, was teaching the disciples to pray, he said this In this manner, therefore, pray. And then you might even know how to, you could quote this with me. Uh, if you wanted to, probably. But our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it starts with, you have to pray to the right person. Father, then hallowed be your name. You, you recognize and you fear who he is. And, and, you, and you understand how sacred he, it is. What does verse 10 say? Your kingdom come. Where are we when we pray? That's not a hard question. Right? I get a lot of points. We're on earth, right? We're on earth. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
on earth just like it's done in heaven. And you put that together. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come? It means that God's will is done on the earth just like it's done in heaven. Think about that for a moment. In heaven, why is it perfect? Why is it awesome there? Because everyone is voluntarily submitted 100% to God. No one questions him. No one, no one says, ah, that's a great idea, God, but I've got a better one. Let me see if I can round up enough votes and maybe we can change it. No, we don't have that in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done. And God is the infinitely wise one. He is the one who knows what is best. And he is the one who is 100% good. And he is 100% powerful. He is all powerful. He, he's, he's God. And only there do you have heaven. On earth, it's very different right now, wouldn't you say? It's not the same thing. And would you say that everyone you've ever met is 100% submitted to God? That's not the world I live in. And so we have this major, major contrast going on. What we're to be praying for is that God's will on earth would be done just like it's already being done right now in heaven. And we've been praying for that for 2,000 years. In our passage in Revelation today, we're beginning to see that happen. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, uh, and so today, what we're going to find as we, as we look at these verses, our passage in Revelations today is going to give us a glimpse of both. It's going to give us a glimpse of heaven. It's going to give us a glimpse of earth. And we'll be able to see that contrast, and that way we can watch as God unfolds his plan. So let's take a look at verse 16 and 17 of, of, uh, of Revelation to see what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like. What is the kingdom of heaven like? So here's our glimpse of heaven. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. What is the kingdom of heaven like? I've got three descriptions here that come out of this verse. And as we get this glimpse of what heaven is like, in number one, we find that there is unity amongst God's people. There is unity amongst God's people. Let's go back to the verse and explain. Uh, it, it begins by saying that the 24 elders who sat before God. Do you remember who those 24 elders were? We have 12 representatives of, of Israel, right? There were 12 tribes of Israel. You have 12 representatives of of Israel. We also have 12 representatives of the church. Who are they? The apostles, right? And so you've got the 24 representing both Jew and Gentile, which includes us all, right? The people of God in the Old Testament being Israel, the Jews, and the people of God in the New Testament being his church. And you've got all of the people of God, and, and the representatives are there together, and they're worshiping God together. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The thought that, that when, when we get to Revelation, uh, a little bit later in Revelation, we'll see how, how when we finally get there, it, you'll have people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation represented as we go there and we worship God together in unity. What an amazing thought to be that unified, especially right now. We live in a country, and I, I, I'm not going to get into politics, but whatever side of, of any issue, you have, you have people that hate each other on, both, on each other's sides. Is that not true? I mean, we could all agree with that, I think, that, that there, there's a division. But yet, heaven is going to be very different because everyone's, we're working together. We're all in, in agreement with who God is, and we're going to worship him together. What a beautiful thought that is. 
The second thing that we see there in the second half of the, of the verse, not only is there unity amongst God's people, but there's unity in what they're doing. They're, they're in, in heaven, God is worshipped. We read the verse there. It says, um, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God. You know, sometimes we read through this and we just go through quickly. But think about that for a moment. They fell on their faces. Have you ever been in such awe of something that it made you a little bit weak in the knees? Like you saw something that was so incredible, you were like, whoa. Like you needed to grab something. Have you ever been so in awe that you couldn't even stand up anymore and you fell on your, on your face? And you, I, I about you, I've never been there. I've never been to that point where I, I, I've, I've been so at all, where I, where I, where I but you know what? In the presence of God, I guarantee I'm not standing up. In the presence of God? No way. Why? Because in the presence of God, they recognize who he is, and God is worshipped. Word worship is very simple. It, it means that we express worth. It comes from, it comes from the word worthship, which is how the word actually used to be. And then over time, they change the spelling. Worship. Recognizing, wow, the worth of God. And that's what it's going to be. Heaven on earth, recognizing who God is. That's a lot better than mountains and beaches. Isn't that? You can worship God anywhere. Now compare that for a moment to the kingdoms of the earth. Is, would you say that that's how people tend to think about and talk about God? When you, when you hear about God in our culture today, is it with this sense where, oh, you just mentioned God, oh man. Let's think about what we're about to say. We're going to tread lightly. We're talking about God. Is that, is that what you encounter in your day-to-day needs? Is that what you encounter when you watch TV and God is mentioned? Or do you find something completely different? Completely different. Why don't we have heaven on earth? Because of our view of God is wrong. In fact, I would say, what I encounter the most outside of church, when people are referencing God, it's usually jokes or lack of respect. I just grabbed a few. I just put God quotes, right? And, and, uh, and, and these, were, these came up. Here's a couple of, of quotes. Um, this is Richard Jenny. I'm assuming he's an actor. I don't know him very well, but, uh, or know of him very well. He says, if you're going to war over religion, you're just killing people in an argument on who has the better imaginary friend. You know what what verse comes to my mind when I hear that? Every knee will bow. Every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to change his opinion. Right? Or here's another one. Uh, This is Dave Foley, uh, another actor. It's sad it makes me feel badly for God because... God's been creating the universe for a long time now, and he hates the gays, but he can't seem to stop making them. <laughs> Talk about disrespectful. That's wrong on a lot of levels. I, we don't have time but to get into all that. Um, and then here's Jim Minchin. Uh, says, if anyone can show me one example in history of the world, in the world of a single spiritual person who has been able to show either empirically or logically the existence of a higher power, with any consciousness or interest in the human race or ability to punish or reward humans for their moral choices or that there is any reason other than fear to believe in any version of an afterlife, I will give you my piano, one of my legs, and my wife. I mean, it's, 
no fear whatsoever. I'll tell you what, heaven on earth has nothing to do with the mountains and, and the beaches. You, you, none, of those, none of those things. It has everything to do with if man, whether or not man recognizes who Jesus Christ is and gives him the glory that's due to him. Where God is worshipped. You want to get a taste of heaven on earth? You, you get it. When you get together with a group of people and, and they all agree on who God is. I remember going to a Moody's pastors conference and, and there were about 1,200 pastors and we all got together into a room and we started singing these, these hymns. This was at, at, at Moody Bible College. And I'll tell you what, uh, there are a lot of pastors, but, but they're, they are not the choir members, right? <laughs> but what an awesome experience it was to be with a group of 1,200 men. And we might disagree on some little points of, the, of theology of this or that, but all of us agreed on who God was. We agreed on who Jesus Christ was. We agreed on what Jesus Christ did for us. And we were brothers in Christ. And what a beautiful experience that was. That was heaven on earth. Inside a building. In Chicago. No offense, no offense to Chicago. If you like Chicago. As long as you don't like the Blackhawks, we can still be friends. Heaven on earth is very different. The third description that we see in there comes in, in verse 17. When we look at this. So not only is it... Uh, unity amongst God's people and, and God is worshipped. But we also see that subjects are of, of his kingdom are grateful. Look at verse 17. What do they say? We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and, is and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. So instead of, instead of ignoring God or making fun of God like the nations do, what, what are they doing in heaven? They're worshiping God and they're expressing gratitude to God, saying, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Who is he? He's the one who was, who is, is, who is to come. What's he doing? He took his great power and he's reigning. He reigns in such a great way that, that we respond with thanksgiving. Brad Pitt was asked why he converted to atheism and why he left his Christianity because he was born and raised in a, in a Christian home. And he said this, he said, I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say that I'm the best. And then I'll give you eternal happiness. If you won't, then you won't get it. It seemed to be about ego. I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. So it's wrong for God to take credit for the entire universe. Let me ask you this. How do you think Brad Pitt would respond if in his next movie they left his name out of the credits? He would have lawyers on that like that, would he not? Why? Because he wants credit for what he did. And when I weigh the two, creation of the universe, creation of life, creation of everything versus your ability to pretend to be someone else, which, which, way, which way is more to, to, to you? Who are you more thankful to? A person who wouldn't even exist without the other. And you know what? God does think that he deserves our praise and worship. For us, that would be pompous and arrogant because we don't deserve it. For God, that's just justice. That's just the reality. He thinks he deserves it. That's why, for salvation, he never says... Uh, he never says, well, just add me to your list of gods. No, it's not good enough. It's a total 100% surrender saying, 
you're God and I'm not. And that's, that's a requirement. Right? Why? Because he does deserve it. And I'll tell you what, I see a problem with Brad Pitt's thinking on this in that really until people recognize that God does exist and that he is the best, then other people are going to start assuming that role of God. And guess what? The world becomes a mess when everyone becomes the masters of their own universe. You want to know what heaven on earth will look like? It will be full of subjects, united in faith, who give credit to God for all that he is and for all that he's done. And it's going to move us to worship him. That's heaven on earth. And you know what? We can get a glimpse of that right here. Can we not? If I had to put this all into one word when I think of the kingdom of heaven and what it would look, would look like, I would say gratefulness. Gratefulness. I'd almost prefer to put it in two words and say gratefulness and, and respect or fear in the sense of respect. Where people fear God, and they're, but they're grateful to him and they're expressing their gratitude. That's our glimpse of heaven right now. John gives us that glimpse before he unites the, shows the uniting of these two kingdoms. Let's take a look at what's going on on earth. Verse 18. The nations were angry. And your wrath has come in the time of, of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Isn't this the polar opposite of what we just read about in heaven? Yeah. I mean, what's the main word that, that describes it? Uh, when you look at, at the kingdom of earth, it's angry. Verse 18, the nations were angry. In fact, this is a strong word. In fact, the word could accurately be translated as raging. The nations were raging. The, the picture that you get is foaming at the mouth, right? And that's... that's John's description of the world at the time says that the world, the, they're angry. They're raging. And this is not new, by the way. Keeping a finger here, looking at Psalm 2, we, uh, we read this, a prophetic psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that means Jesus, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Well, there's a lot in this passage. When you think, why are the nations raging? Why are they so angry? Why do they conspire and they plot in vain? The kings, they set themselves up and, and, and they, they, they take the positions that belong to God. They set themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed. The word anointed is Christos, right? Where do we, what other word do we get from that? Christ. The, 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 in the Old Testament, the, the uh, original language that this was written in is Messiah, which we get the word Messiah from. Who's the Messiah? Who's the Christ? Jesus. And he's predicting, you know what? When, these, when the kingdoms of the earth set themselves up, they start setting themselves up against the Lord and against Christ. They're enemies of the Lord, enemies of Christ, and that's why they're raging. And by the way, you don't get angry with someone that you don't believe exists. You don't. 
You get angry when you believe that someone exists and is against you and, and, and is, is somehow thwarting your plans, right? You, you don't, I mean, I, I've said it before, but I don't think there's, I've never seen an anti-tooth fairy march. <laughs> Why? Because we, we don't believe it, we don't believe it exists, but we don't really care. But here, we see anti-God stuff all over, and they betray themselves with their own anger. Because by demonstrating their anger, they're actually demonstrating that they actually do believe that God exists, but they're not willing to give him the credit for who he is or for what he's done in fear that it might restrict them from being the masters of their own universe. Isn't that what the verse says? Why? What's the word? Bonds. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from they think that, that, that God is going to put us in some kind of a box where we're going to be restricted. And they want to be the masters of their own universe. By the way, that means they're following their leader, Satan. They're following their leader, Satan. Satan said, I will be like the Most High. I don't want to submit to God. And thus began the degradation of everything. The moment we try to replace God with ourselves. But you know what? Got to ask the question, how can the world experience heaven on earth when people mock God? And you can't. But guess what? God will not be mocked without consequence. Look at the, look at the, the second half of that, uh, that portion of the psalm. Verse 4 through 6 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. That means he'll scoff at them. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. They're, they're enemies of Jesus Christ. And they, they set themselves up. And God looks at them and laughs. My brother was a great wrestler. And, uh, and he, he was just a really great wrestler. And... I think I can only think of one time that he actually lost, and it was to He-Man, the master of the universe, right? Not literally. <laughs> the guy was huge. And, uh, and, and, and he would sometimes, you know, be, he'd have to wrestle against someone who's, who's popular or whatever. And I remember he was wrestling this guy who was supposed to become the state champion. And we were from this little Christian school, so our official record, his official record was zero and zero because none of our, our wrestling matches counted, right? And so we went to this one, uh, one school where they had this state champ guy who was big, and, and when it was time for him to wrestle, uh, then all of a sudden the lights went dim, and then they had a spotlight come out, and this music comes out, and it's like Rocky or something, right? And, and so this guy busts through this piece of paper that these girls are holding up, and he busts through, and no lie, he rips off his T-shirt, and the crowd just goes, <laughs> and I'm sitting next to my brother who's got to wrestle this guy and you know what he did? He laughed. No lie, he laughed. He's like, ha. Like he was loving it. He pinned the guy in less than 10 seconds. The, the crowd hadn't even stopped settling down from cheering and all of a sudden I was like, oh, what? It was awesome. The, the world seems, they, they think they're getting away with all this. They're, they're, I mean, they're scoffing God, they make fun of God, they set their kingdoms up against God. And God laughs because he knows how it's going to end up. He knows how it's going to end up, he laughs. He's going to set up his king in Zion. In Revelation, we start to see that happen. Isn't that cool? 
God knew this plan since, well, since before the psalmist wrote this. He's known this plan all along. Let's go back to Revelation and, uh, and look at the verse one, once again. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. God's plan, very simple. God's plan to bring heaven on earth is to pour out his wrath on the scoffers, get rid of the scoffers, and set up Jesus Christ as king. So that we can worship God. Because Jesus Christ, by the way, is God. And we worship him. Then, and only then, are we going to find what we find in verse 19. Then, the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Then and only then, the ark of God becomes visible. By the way, this is in heaven, not on earth. Remember, the ark on earth was a representation. It was, it was, just, it was just a shadow, an image of the real ark that was in heaven. So in spite of uh, whether or not you like the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, there's really no point in looking for that anymore, right? It's, it's, it, it, it's, it was just a representation. And on earth, when they took the ark, that representation, when they took that ark into battle, what would happen? God would destroy the enemies. Now we see the, the ark, the real ark of God, the heavenly ark. So what do we know is going to happen? God's about to destroy his enemies. Purging the evil from the world so that he can set up his kingdom, set up the real kingdom on earth. Because God, in order to bring king, the kingdom of, of heaven to earth, has to purify the earth, get rid of the scoffers that refuse to give God credit for who he is and what he's done. How, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we apply this? How does this affect our head, our heart, and our hands? I have one thing for each of those, and let's talk about this uh, briefly. Number one, for, for our head, we recognize who, or God for who he is. You know, we, have to, we have to take the time to recognize God for who he is. You want heaven on earth? Then take time to meditate on who God is and what he's done for you. In just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to have communion, and we're going to talk about, about the bread and the wine, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I can think of nothing that I'm more grateful for than the fact that God sent his own son to die on the cross, gave his body and blood for me, so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could experience eternal life. What's better than that? We're going to meditate on that. Recognize God for who he is. And we should understand. And, 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 and instead of thinking heaven on earth as the mountains or beaches, it's the one who created the mountains and beaches. And the stars. And the planets. And you. Our heart, I think, we should be overwhelmed with gratefulness. We should be overwhelmed. Meditate on who God is. And let it bring you to a point of gratefulness. Does God demand that we acknowledge him? That we recognize him? Yes, he does. And he should. Because it's better for us to submit ourselves. If we don't recognize that, we start to become the masters of our own universe. And we stink at it. But when we submit ourselves wholly to God, 
then God's will starts to happen on earth in the same way that it happens in heaven. And that's what we want. Thirdly, our hands, we fall down and we worship. We fall down and we worship. Today, let's take some time to consider what God has done for us through our communion. My prayer is that would, that it would give you a heart of worship. And that today, when you walk out of here, you'll be able to walk out in worship. Amen?